Today we have Kyle Zook bringing our message. Let me pray for him. Father, thank you for for Kyle and his willingness to speak and preach your word. I just pray that you calm any any fears or anxieties and just let him proclaim your word with confidence and boldness. In your name, I ask this. Amen. Good morning. As always, I hope everyone's been doing well since the last time we were together. I uh, normally talk about the weather and say I hope you've enjoyed it, but yesterday was 93, so I don't don't think it's applicable right now. But uh, it is amazing to see the seasons change and the weathers change and God's creations start to, to begin to move again, everything to green up and the wildlife to come back and to get outside and start being active. And part of the reason for that is because as summertime rolls around, uh, the light is more prevalent. It's light much longer. It gives us the opportunity to be more productive. Uh, it gives us the opportunity to to just be outside in nature longer and to watch everything happening around us. And, you know, light is very important in our life. And when you have little kids, you know that uh, you begin to realize that. My little three-year-old does not like walking into a dark room. Obviously, some of them don't. And uh, the other night, he needed to go to the bathroom, and the light was off, so he refused to walk in. So finally, Daddy said, you need to be a big boy and get in there now. But because the light was off, he couldn't see the danger of his older brother hiding behind the door. So he jumped out at him, and uh, as you can imagine, we had multiple issues to deal with. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was not fun. But <laughs> So... Light is important to all of us. And what we're going to begin doing is we're going to begin going through the Gospel of John together. Now, the Gospel of John is very unique because it has many themes that weave, its, weave themselves in and out of the Gospel that are unique only to John. And light is one of them, especially the way that light is used and the way that Christ uses light in describing himself. But the Gospel of John is also unique because it is complex and yet simple. So the theologian Wilbert Howard stated that it, meaning John, is the simplest and at the same time the most profound book in the New Testament. Now, when you stop and think about that, how can something be simple and complex? It's kind of weird, right? It's like being happily angry or joyfully sad. It's kind of seems like it would be the opposite. But if you think about it. A person's thought or an opinion or a statement is always way more complex than it appears on the surface. If someone gives an opinion about something, it may seem simple at the time, but you have to ask yourself, how did they arrive at that? There could be life experiences. There could be the ways they were taught. There could be things they've seen happen to someone else. There's all sorts of reasons that lead them to this conclusion. Nothing is ever as simple as it seems on the surface. And the example that uh, kind of came to mind when I was thinking about simple yet complex was one plus one equals two. And that's very simple, right? If I was to ask any of us in here what one plus one equals, we would all say two. However, in 1910, two of the most brilliant minds that have been in the United States and England, Alfred North Whitehead and Bertrand Russell, they set out to write a three-volume collection on the principles of mathematics. It was almost 2,000 pages long. And they spent 379 pages worth of statements, theorems, and examples to prove without a shadow of a doubt that 1 plus 1 equals 2. That is what it took in the mathematic world, 379 pages. And so that is what is beautiful about the Gospel of John because 
you can be a child and read it and come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is Lord and King and Messiah. Or you could be a man or a woman that just analyzes everything to the 10th degree and you will still come up with that conclusion at the end. So turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John. We're going to begin in the first chapter and we're going to be going through the first five verses today. Now, while you're turning there, I'll keep kind of reiterating some of the things we were talking about. If you were to go to Legionnaire Ministries, which is R.C. Sproul's ministry, they have a portion there where you can click on different books of the Bible and it will give you commentaries for them. Now, if you look at the Gospel of John, how many pages is it in your Bible? In mine, it's 23. Now, for some of you, it might be 30, depending on your print or or your translation, but in mine, it's 23. Now, if you look at the first two commentaries they have on their website, one is 976 pages and the other one is 715. So in these 23 pages, two theologians came up with 1,600 pages worth of commentary. That is how deep this gospel is and how much is being said within it. So I know we won't touch it all as we go through it, but just to give you an idea of what you're looking at. And it's also unique because the first 18 verses are an introduction. They're called the introduction of John, which original name I know, but what he's doing is he's going through different thoughts and ideas, and he is setting you up for what to look for as we go through the rest of the gospel as we read about the life of Christ and the disciples so that when Christ speaks, we understand a little more about the brevity of what he's saying. Now, one of the most profound verses in all of scripture is John 1, 1. It is one of the deepest, most, I don't even know how to describe it. It is so profound that When secular philosophical professors are teaching Greek philosophy on college campuses and they get on the idea of the logos, they use John 1.1 as the example of the epitome of how this word is used. If you go to PBS.org and you watch videos on philosophy and how the Greeks looked at the logos, they use John 1.1 as the example of what the logos was and what it meant to that culture. And if you go to the Encyclopedia Britannica and you look up ancient Greek philosophy and the Logos, you will see as you read through their explanation that eventually John 1.1 will come up and how profound that word is and the idea behind it. So let's read the first five verses here together and then we'll go into it. The deity of Christ Jesus, John 1.1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now we can probably all read all of that and say amen and go home, because there was a lot in that, right? But... But it's the first three verses we're going to focus on here before we get into four and five. Let's kind of read them again to to get them in our mind of what we're looking at. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning of with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. 
Now, you'll see in the first verse that that word, word, is capitalized in many of your translations. And there's two reasons for that. One is because it's referring to the deity of Christ. And the other one is because it's expressing the example of the Logos. The the Logos is, is pivotal to understand because it's used 331 times in the New Testament, but mostly used by John. In the book of Revelation, it is what John calls Jesus when he will return. He says the word of God will return with his divine army. And he also refers to him in Revelation 4 as the word, as the Logos. So the way that that word works, it's essentially a divine reason or a divine logic, the acting of God. If you look at the Encyclopedia Britannica for the definition, it states that it is divine reason or logic. And then it continues on with this massive explanation until this comes into play. Significant in Christian writings and doctrines as a vehicle for conceiving the role of Jesus Christ as the principle of God, active in creation and the continuous structuring of the cosmos and in revealing the divine plan of salvation to human beings. It thus underlies the basic preexistent doctrine of the preexistence of Jesus. So when John is using this, he is using it to explain to us that the Logos, that the Word is eternal, that it is Jesus, that it is the creating factor, that it has always been present. And you see that in verse 1, it states, in the beginning. Well, when you see in the beginning, where does your mind automatically go? Well, you go to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And that is what John is implying here. He's showing us that the Logos has been in the beginning. So before creation was... God was. Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus existed before creation. He's also pointing out that all life came through him. So the Trinity was present at the time of creation. And if you read Genesis 1, 1 through 3 and John 1 through 3, you'll see a lot of parallels that are going on. And John is doing that on purpose. But when you read the first three verses of Genesis, you will see the spirit hovering over the waters, the father speaking, and as John says, the son creating. All life comes through the son. And as you continue to go through John and you see the way that he's using these first few verses here in the chapter, you can kind of follow as we go through some of these parallels. So in the beginning was the word. Jesus is eternal. The word was with God. Jesus was with God prior to coming to earth. The word was God. Jesus is God. All things were made through him. Jesus is creator. In him was life. Jesus is the giver of life. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, which is later in the chapter. Jesus became human to live among us. These are all things that John is trying to build up and to make sure that we understand before we begin reading about the life of the word. But now it's the last two verses that we'll focus on, John 1, verses 4 through 5, as we continue on here. And let's read them together again to kind of put them on our minds. John 1, 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now it's translated as comprehend, but in the original version of this and in some of your translations instead of comprehend it might say overcome the darkness did not overcome the light and we know that that is true in all of our lives because of the light within us 
that comes from Jesus Christ. The darkness will not overcome the light within us. And to a Jew, light was pivotal in that time. Light was essentially a representation of ultimate value. And think about everything that light did in those days, in the ancient days. It represented revelation, and it was how one was guided. So if you had something that you were protecting at night, you would shine a torch to find it. You would make sure you were still on the path that you were walking down. You would check for any dangers up ahead. You would look for enemies in the forest. If you were lost, you would see a a light up on a hill and know that there was a tower ahead. Or you would see multiple lights and know that you were heading towards a village or a city. So light was representative of ultimate value through revelation and guidance. And the Old Testament uses light and several examples to refer to God. This isn't like this is something entirely unique to John. Using light in the way he does is, but not using light to describe God, if that makes sense. But in Micah 7-8, the prophet states that, Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. He will guide me. In the Psalm 18-28, it states that, You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Turns my darkness into light, because if light is representative of good, and darkness is representative of evil, And Jesus is the life of the light within us. And Jesus Christ reveals to us the darkness that is in our lives. He reveals to us the sin that is within us. And he reveals to us the fact that we need a savior. We need saving grace. We need him. He reveals our darkness and he reveals the path in guiding us to the father through him. And because he is within us, because he is the life of the light, he is the creator, the source and the sustainer of the light that is within us. The darkness that surrounds us cannot hope to overcome us because we walk with Christ Jesus and he is our savior and king. The darkness cannot begin to overcome the light. And yet when you look at that, John MacArthur states that there's an aspect to this that is often overlooked as well, and that is that. John is telling us about what is coming later on in the gospel when he says that the darkness did not overcome the light. Because look at all the darkness that Jesus is going to face as we continue to go through the gospel together. We're going to see demon-possessed men come at him that he will have to, he will exercise and throw them into the abyss. He sees Pharisees wanting to kill him and stone him in the temple. Satan will tempt him in the desert. And then, as John points out, the betrayal in the garden. In Luke twenty-two fifty-three, when Judas had betrayed him and they came, Jesus states to the chief priests, While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. So when he was betrayed and when he was going to be crucified, the hour of the power of darkness was upon the earth, and yet the power of the darkness did not Overcome the light because the light was Christ Jesus and Christ's light shines through us. Yes, the light that that we shine into the world will push some people away. But I also hope that our light that is sustained by Christ is something that those who are lost in the darkness see that they see us and they see our church and they're pulled towards it because of the glory of Christ Jesus that they see shining through us. And not just as a church, but also in our personal life and the way that we live with family members and friends. Yes, some of them will be turned away and some of them will mock us and some of them will hurt us. But if we can continue to show them the love of Christ and allow Christ to shine through us, 
then hopefully some of them will come into the kingdom and our suffering will be worth it. So in, in conclusion here, I hope that we carry away that Jesus is eternal, that the light that is within us comes from Christ Jesus, and that the darkness cannot overcome the light. So let's pray real quick. Christ, I thank you for everything you've done. I thank you for the gospel of John and for the opportunity we have to go through this together. I pray that you continue to guide us in the days ahead, that your spirit be among us, and that we always remember that the light that is within us is given life from you. Amen.